0: Well, hello everyone, and happy Resurrection Day. Uh, this is such a, a different experience than we normally would have, but I would like to start it the same way uh, that the old timers used to start the service when I was a kid, too. Uh, the pastor would stand up before the group and he would cry out, He is risen. And then the congregation would say back, He is risen indeed. And so, even just where you are, I'd love to exercise that today. So, let me say to you, He is risen. Thank you guys for playing along if you played along at home. Thanks for playing along. Uh, we're very grateful. Christ is risen indeed. Uh, and it doesn't matter if we are together, if we are separate, uh, if we are uh, if we are in one place or another that the Lord is glorified and the resurrection still happens uh, no matter what, uh, no matter what our circumstances are. Uh, right before coming up here today, had kind of an interesting experience. I was talking to my wife uh, about uh, recording today and just getting ready for the service, and she said, it feels weird, doesn't it? not gathering together. It feels strange that this is how Easter Sunday is going to happen this year. And uh, I'll be honest with you, that summed up how I felt as well. And I got in my car, I started to drive up here to the church so that we could record, and then all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. This is not the first Easter uh, that was celebrated by the disciples sheltering in place. You realize the first Easter, the disciples had watched Jesus be crucified. They had heard that he was going to raise again on the third day, but they had no idea that it was going to happen the way that it did. So they are sheltered in place and they are basically hiding in these homes in Jerusalem and they're waiting for something to happen. They think they'll either be hauled off to jail or they're going to be able to slip away and go back to their homes. And then all of a sudden the resurrection changes everything. (coughs) Now, if there was ever a sentiment that we could understand this day, it's that one. We're waiting for something to happen, but it is going to be different than what we've experienced in the past. It's going to be different uh, from the Easter's uh, that we've had for many of us from the time that we were younger. But the resurrection is where the power is. The resurrection is what matters. And honestly, I'm very excited to see what the Lord is going to do through this. There may be some of you watching today that we're scared to death to ever darken the door of a church, or nervous to darken the door of a church, but maybe, just maybe, you could click the play button and watch the video. If that's you, I want to thank you for your courage today. Uh, And I know that some of this stuff that we talk about uh, may be new to you. I hope to present it to you in a way that is easily to understand today, uh, because the resurrection is something that is meant to be understood by all. It starts with this. By the way, if you have your Bibles, open to 1 John chapter 1 and then John chapter 20. 1 John, the letter of 1 John towards the end of your Bible, and then the Gospel of John uh, chapter 20. In 1 John chapter 1, um, our study today starts with this question Have you ever been an expert on something before? Have you ever been an expert on something before? Now, just for the record, expert can mean a whole lot of different things. For one, for example, an expert, you can become an expert because you have experience in a certain area. For others of you, maybe it's an expert because you've studied, you've gotten your degree in something. Again, you've gotten, your, uh, you've gotten a, a technical uh, study or a, you understand something because of what you've studied. Maybe you were present for an event that was a big deal that took place, or maybe uh, something was passed down to you that also is very, very important. I can tell you that I'm an expert in things that matters of theology, but I am also an expert in the restaurant of Red Lobster. Again, maybe the finest eating institution in the history of mankind. Okay, that's a bit of a stretch, but there you go, right? Red Lobster, just so you know, I'm truly an expert there. Worked for four and a half years waiting tables at Red Lobster. I could tell you the specials. I could tell you the training meetings. I could tell you the scandals that took place in four and a half years at the Red Lobsters in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and also in Lubbock, Texas. I could tell you about the famous people that came in that I got to wait on. One of those by By the way, uh, back in my sophomore year of college, I waited on one Sir Mix-a-Lot. That's a true story uh, for another day. Waited on Sir Mix-a-Lot. Also, uh, Vanilla Ice came in at one point. I'm throwing some old uh, 90s names out there for you, but Vanilla Ice came in at one point. And uh, I'm telling you, you got to wait on the famous people. And um, most people, when they find out I worked at Red Lobster, ask the same question every time. Do you have the biscuit recipe? The answer is yes. Yes, I do. They used to require that people who worked at Red Lobster before you could wait tables, you had to have a shift where you made the biscuits and your entire shift was just making the biscuits over and over and over again. Yes, there is a secret ingredient. Yes, you can buy the box stuff at a a, a supermarket or, or via Amazon or Walmart or whatever. Just so you know, they do leave one special ingredient out. And when you come back to church, I will share it to you face to face after all this quarantine mess is over. All right, moving on. All that to say, I'm an expert on red lobster. Now, when it comes to Jesus and the time that Jesus spent walking the earth, first John chapter one, verses one through four, John lays out for us, he is an expert. Look at what he says here. First John chapter one. He says that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, or another word for that in Greek is that we have observed and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is how we talk to you about Jesus, he says. Look at verse two. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, And our fellowship is also with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Stop right there for just a minute. Here's what John says. He says, when I tell you about Jesus, I am telling you as an expert. I'm telling you as one who heard him preach the sermons. I'm telling you as one who saw him with the miraculous catch of fish. Call us and say, man, man, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I saw the miracles. I heard the sermons. John is the one male disciple that sticks with him to watch him take his last breath on the cross. John is the one we're going to talk about today that sees the empty tomb and the grave clothes folded up. John's the one who sees Jesus ascend to heaven. And John is also the one on the day of Pentecost that sees 3,000 people saved in one single service. Now listen to me. John says, I've seen, I've experienced, I have observed and analyzed all of this data for one specific reason, that you might know Jesus the same way I did. That you might have fellowship with other believers, and that you yourself might be a believer as well. If you're taking notes, write this down. The goal of John's life was to help people find forgiveness and fellowship with Jesus. Let me say that again. The goal of John's life was to help people find forgiveness and fellowship with Jesus. Just for the record, for those of you disciples who are watching this right now, that is the goal of God's life, that is the goal that God has for your life as well. That when people look at you, when they experience time with you, when they interact with you, with you, that your life would scream the message of Jesus Christ, that we can find forgiveness and fellowship with him. Now, just for the record, there may be some of you watching this today that would say, Zach, that's me. It's been a long time. I, I would like to find forgiveness for my sins. I would like, again, to, to not have my sin counted against me, that I could know God and that I could be saved, that that's you. Then we're going to lay out a roadmap for you today, but there's another group. There's some of you who believed in Jesus for some time. But if you're really being honest, it's been a while since you had fellowship with other believers. It's been a while since you had that sweet friendship with Almighty God. To have that friendship, first and foremost, you've got to know him. But there are also some things that we can do if you've fallen away, if it's been a long time since you really considered the role of Jesus in your life. We're going to walk you through a road map how to get back in fellowship with God. By the way, that word fellowship is kind of a churchy word. The definition of fellowship is friendly association. How do you become a friend of God once again? How do you become connected to Him in fellowship? If that's you and you want forgiveness, or that's you and you want fellowship, then this is the message for you today. And then for others of you that would say, Zach, I'm doing great. I'm saved and I found fellowship with God. This is a great lesson to take notes on because if you ever find a place where you've drifted away, this is the roadmap and how to get back. So here's our big million dollar question today How do we find the sweet friendship of God? How do we find the sweet friendship of God? Well, John is about to lay it out for us in verses five through seven. Look at what he says here, our first step in the process. John says, This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you. Here it is. You ready? God is light. And in him there is no darkness, look at this, at all, underline and highlight, at all. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is the picture of why God sent his son, not just to purify us from our sin, but he sent his son that we might have a relationship with him and get to spend eternity with him in perfect love. If you're taking notes, how do, we find free, how do we find the sweet friendship of God? Number one, first and foremost, step into the light. John says God is light. He can have no part with darkness. And so when we try to lay in the shadows, when we t- try to remain in that lying lifestyle, he says you're not going to find fellowship. You're not going to find sweet fellowship, sweet friendship from Almighty God. God is light, and he requires that we step into the light. You could take notes and write this down if you want. The idea is that we would embrace the truth. Step into the light. God can work with a lot of things. Your mistakes, the difficulty in the culture, the complexity of our lives, God can work with those things. But what John says he can't work with is someone who tries to dwell in the shadows. Someone who discards the truth. A picture of this, by the way, comes from my favorite movie of all time. My favorite movie of all time, number one, is a movie called Tombstone. Great movie. Uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, their friendship, and uh, again, just my favorite movie of all time. And the whole movie culminates, you had a whole lot of time to see it, all right? So uh, it came out like in the 90s at some point. But in the movie, Wyatt Earp gets at odds with one of the leaders of the cowboy gang, and his name is Johnny Ringo, all right? And it all culminates with Johnny Ringo setting up a duel with Wyatt Earp. Well, Johnny Ringo is quite a gunslinger, and Wyatt Earp is a lawman, but not quite as quick on the draw as Johnny Ringo. However, there's another character in the story named Doc Holliday, and Doc Holliday is the fastest gun in all the West. Johnny Ringo can beat most people, but he can't beat Doc Holliday. So he challenges Wyatt Earp, and on the day of the duel, Johnny Ringo is walking around, and then all of a sudden he's so filled with confidence because he knows he can beat Wyatt Earp. But all of a sudden, lurking in the shadows, a figure walks up. He thinks it's Earp, but it's actually Doc Holliday and the figure steps out, steps into the shadows, and Johnny Ringo with confidence goes, well, I didn't think you had it in you. And then the famous line comes from Val Kilmer playing Doc Holliday. He steps out of the shadows into the light and says, I'm your Huckleberry. And all of a sudden, Johnny Ringo turns pale white. Doc Holliday looks at him and says, why, Johnny, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. I love that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in any movie. Ringo all of a sudden goes from cocky and confident to deeply concerned. He thought lurking in the shadows that the figure was just Wyatt Earp, but it was actually Doc Holliday, the man he knows he can't beat. If you're taking notes, write this down. In the shadows, we only see a portion of the truth, and then we have the ability to craft the rest as we see fit. But it is a fantasy. Let me say that again. In the shadows, we only see a portion of the truth, and then we have the ability to craft the rest as we see fit, but it is a fantasy. You got to know this. When it comes to our relationship with Almighty God, we are filled with sin and in need of a Savior. You can craft your own theology all you want, but it's got to lead back to Jesus. In the end, the truth is the truth. Step out of the shadows and into the light over and over again in conversation with Jesus, the same thing would happen. The story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. He's crafted his own theology. He goes, "Man, I've got everything. I'm rich. I'm young. Man, I've got everything you could want in this life. I just need assurance of eternal life." He walks up to Jesus and says, "What I got to do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus looks at him and says, "Uh, you got to keep the law." He's setting him up. He's telling him, you can't get to God on your own. you got to keep the law. you got to be perfect. And then what does the dude say? Because he's in the shadows, he's crafted his own theology, he goes, oh, I've done that since I was a boy. I've never made any mistakes. I'm not a sinner. I've done that since I was a boy. What else you got? And then it says, Jesus says, hmm, why don't you step into the light? Jesus says, it says in Scripture, he looked at him, and he loved him. And then Jesus says to him, the one thing you lack Sell all you possess and give it to the poor. At that point, he doesn't want to come out of the shadows. He likes the false theology that he's crafted for his life. And it says in scripture, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now listen to me. Jesus says, step out of the dark and into the light. I can work with sin. I came here to take it from you. I came here to die on behalf of it so that you wouldn't have it counted against you. But you've got to step into the light. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. It happens with Pilate. On his way to be crucified... Pilate looks at Jesus and says, hey, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? He looks at Jesus and says, man, I have the control here in the shadows. Pilate is the one who's in charge. And Jesus looks at him and goes, dude, you don't have any power here that's not been given to you from, my, that's not been given to you from above. This is not between me and you. This is not between me and Rome. It's not even between me and the Pharisees. This is between me and my father. Step into the light, Pilate. Realize that God is the one who's in charge, not you. It says at that point, Pilate was scared, and he did everything he could to try to set Jesus free. In John chapter 20, if you'll save your spot in 1 John, but flip over to John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. Our writer of 1 John tells us his story on the day of the resurrection. When he had to choose to step into the light himself. Here's what it says. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Resurrection day. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John's term for himself and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, look at this, but he did not go in. Circle, highlight, and underline, but he did not go in. Now, just for the record, a little humor here. I've always thought it was funny. For all of eternity, um, John laid out here, hey, I beat Peter in a foot race to the tomb. I've always thought that that was a great little footnote here in the side of the study. But picture this, they think that Jesus has been stolen. He's told them that He would rise again in three days. But they didn't know it was going to look like this. So Peter and John run to the tomb, and John gets right there to the edge of the shadow. He gets right there to the edge of the tomb. And all of a sudden, he knows, whoa, if I step out of the darkness and into the light, my life is different based on what I see in that tomb. If Jesus is in there, it changes my theology. Man, if his grave clothes are in there, it changes my theology. Man, if I go in and something happens in that space, then it changes me forever. And what does John do? He freezes. It's hard to step into the light when you've developed your own plan. Look at what it says in verse six. It says, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and he steps into the light. He went into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus's head The cloth was folded up and by itself, separate from the linen. Now, this is always important to remember on Easter Sunday. The grave was not robbed. If you're robbing a grave, man, you leave a crime scene. The stone has been rolled away, not destroyed, but rolled away, and the grave clothes have been folded up and neatly placed on the ledge. The reason this would have messed with the disciples is they didn't walk into a crime scene. They walked into a meticulously prepared, eternal moment. Now we look at the end in verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. The same John here who points out he beat Peter in a foot race lets us know that he had been too fearful to have faith to walk in the tomb first. It says he went inside. Look at this. He saw and believed. Underline, he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. On that glorious Easter Sunday, after the stone is rolled away, after the miracle has taken place, Peter and John run to the tomb and their life is changed no matter what when they walk inside. They step into the light. And it says here, for John, he saw and he believed. It begs the question today, when's the last time you took an honest look in the mirror? Let me ask that again. When's the last time you took an honest look in the mirror? Not what you hoped you would be, not the situation that you, uh, that you hoped would exist, not the theology that you wish was in existence, but you truly stepped into the light and allowed the truth to shine upon you. When's the last time you did that? Maybe today is your day. In order to have fellowship with God, he cannot have fellowship with someone in the shadows. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. To have fellowship with him and fellowship with other believers, we must step into the light. Now flip back over to 1 John, and let's look at verses 22 through 20. Excuse me, 1 John, and let's look at chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Here's what he says next. He says, if we claim to be without sin, look at this. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, underline if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Stop right there for just a minute. What John tells us in this next part of the passage is it's not enough to embrace the truth that you also have to confess with your mouth, confess to God, confess to one another that you are not perfect. Now that word, sin does not mean bad stuff. The word sin means to miss the mark. It was a term that was used for archery back in the ancient world. The idea is that if the dead center of the bullseye is perfection, sin means that you miss the mark just off a little bit on that bullseye. It could be a little bit. It could be a large margin. You could miss the target entirely. But the picture of sin means to miss that mark of perfection. John says, all have sinned, every single one of us. He says, if we claim to not have that, then the truth is not in us. You see, when we step into the light, when we embrace the truth, part of that truth is that we need to own our sin, own that we have been imperfect in light of God's mighty perfection. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we find the sweet friendship of God? Number one, we have to step into the light and embrace the truth. But number two, we have to own our sin. We have to confess that we have fallen short, that God is perfect and we are less than perfect. If you're taking notes, a little quote here for you. Sin is anything that misses the mark of God's perfection. Sin is anything that misses the mark of God's perfection. So back in the day, when I was in elementary school, I'll never forget, we had a big long hallway at our school and uh, some of you may have experienced this. They would, uh, throughout the semester, have each art class put together art projects and then they would hang them in the hallway for all the students to walk past. And so there were these little hallways but then there was one big hallway that you would uh, that once a year uh, each class would be able to put their stuff so that the entire school could see it. Now here was the problem. We were kids, okay? So kids on two levels. First of all, kids meaning the art was not that great, okay? And second, we made fun of each other pretty badly, okay? It wasn't necessarily bullying, but what you would do is everybody's artwork hung in the hallways, and I'm telling you, there were some kids that were good at it, some of us were not, and I'm telling you, the problem was at the end, you had to sign your name, and you had to claim whatever artwork it was that you had put on the wall, and for the week or two weeks, that it was up there on the walls. I mean, you had to live with what was up there. And I'll never forget, there was one week I had done a particularly awful art project. It was gonna go on the main hallway, and I remember thinking to myself, I am not gonna sign this, all right? I am not gonna sign this because my friends are gonna make fun of me. i made fun of people myself that had been on that walls. I'm confessing. Some of you may be watching. I'm sorry, all right? Just the way it goes. I'm telling you, you see the stuff on the walls, but the teacher made sure we signed it at the end. Now listen. Jesus came to save sinners. Paul's testimony, one of the greatest church planters of all time, if not the greatest church planter, said, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. It's not enough just to step into the light. We've got to sign our signature on our life and go, you know what, God, I claim it. I screwed up. God, I claim it. I've lived less than perfect. But thanks be to God for that relationship we have with Jesus Christ that our sin might not be counted against us. Friendship with God, true forgiveness, is not just about acknowledging the truth. It's about owning the fact that on your own, you cannot make it to God. On your own, you do not deserve to be in his presence. It's only because of Jesus we find any hope. Save your spot in 1 John and flip over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 25. Here's what James has to write about this. James 1, verses 22 and 25. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently, look at this, into the perfect law, the law that gives freedom, underline and highlight the law that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it will be blessed in what he does what we find in this passage is james says don't be someone who steps into the light and goes whoa man i'm a sinner but then immediately steps back into the shadows he says remember that once you've left that darkness behind remember the freedom that comes as we study god's word remember the freedom that comes as we cling to that relationship with jesus christ he says and then when we do that he said we will be blessed There's some of you watching this today and you know that you've been living a way you shouldn't be living. You know, you've been doing things you shouldn't be doing. One of the beautiful things about the quarantine time is you got time to think some things through. One of the bad things about the quarantine time is you got time to get in trouble and there's not a whole lot of accountability around you. Listen to me. It's not enough to know the truth you've got to come to a point where you claim and are honest about your imperfections and you realize there's nothing you could do to get to God on your own. Friendship with God, forgiveness and fellowship with him, all are contingent upon stepping into the light, embracing the truth, but also owning your sin, realizing and claiming, it says claiming in 1 John, that we are less than perfect and that we need Jesus to act on our behalf. It begs the question, have you acknowledged your sin and sought forgiveness? Have you acknowledged your sin and sought forgiveness? This is not meant to be something to beat you over the head. It says in James, when we do this, we find freedom. Some of you right now are a slave to doing things your own way. And you don't realize it. You think it's freedom to want to do things our way, but those are fantasy rules of the universe that you created as someone who can do nothing on your own. You've created those rules. You've written your own theology. And in the end, it has shackled you in darkness. Jesus says, trust me. James says, when we embrace the truth, the truth brings freedom. Again, have you acknowledged your sin and sought forgiveness? All that's the bad news. And we now get to the good news. Look at what happens in uh, flip over back to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Even though 1 John is divided up into two chapters here, it really all is one fluid thought. Look at what 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says. Remember, this is all after we've heard, step into the light, God is light, in him there's no darkness. We've heard, own your sin, confess, claim that you're a sinner, and again, confess those things to God and he will forgive you. Now look at what it says in chapter 2. It says, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, now stop there for just a minute. What we have found in the previous passage is that we all sin, that we all have something to confess, that we've all been less than perfect. I love this because what John is saying is after telling everyone that we struggle with sin, from now until we get to spend eternity with God, we will struggle with sin. He says if anybody does sin, which we all do, he says we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Underline, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Right here we find the the motivation and the attitude of Jesus Christ laid out by John in 1 John chapter 2. He lays out and says, Jesus came to save us, to be that atoning sacrifice for our sins, not just to die on the cross, but to be resurrected, to give us hope for salvation. And he says, not just for you, but for the entire world. If you're taking notes, how do we find the sweet friendship of God? Number one is step into the light, embrace the truth. Number two is own your sin. Understand that we are less than perfect. Claim it, confess it. And then number three, daily cling to Jesus. Daily cling to Jesus. It says in this passage that he is our defender. He is our defense against the cries of sin that we are not worthy. cries of sin are double-edged because they're true. We're not worthy on our own. But because of Jesus, he was the atoning sacrifice. He took our place. He made us worthy with his shed blood and he overcame the grave by that tomb being empty. We have a rule at our house, and the rule was from when I was a kid, too. Now, this is a story I'm about to tell you where some of you parents will judge me. Please don't judge me. It's Easter, all right? Please don't judge me, all right? When I was a kid, my parents had a rule that you started to sleep in your own bed, but if you got scared in the middle of the night, you could get to their bedroom, and they had a king-sized bed, and there were three of us back in those days, and we could all climb in bed with them. Now, just for the record, we have carried that same rule with our kids. We have four kids, and so it is a little bit more crowded than I remember when I was a kid. All right, so here's the deal. There were some nights I would have a nightmare, and I would remember my room was on the far end of the house, and my parents' room was on the far other end of the house. And I'll never forget it would be night when there was a thunderstorm. Or I'd hear, we had a tree next to the window and I'd hear just scratching up against the window. And I'd wake up at one, two, three in the morning. I'd hear that scratching. I'd see what was going on with the thunderstorm. And then here's what would happen. I would think to myself, if I can just get to mom and dad's room, if I can just get there, then I'll be safe. If I can just get there, I'll be okay. And I remember as a kid, I can still vividly remember these things. I would step out of bed, and run as fast as i could to my parents bedroom and then to try to make it look like i wasn't that scared i'd get to the door and then i would just open it very slowly and i would walk in and just be like hey sorry just can I climb in bed with you and again i was scared to death right i ran because if i could just get to them i knew that i would be defended i knew that i'd be okay with my kids, I watch them do the same thing. And I know you're watching. We're going to watch this together. I know you're watching. I know your tricks and I know your secrets. We hear them now. Our room is on the second floor of our little town home and we can hear it clunk, 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 clunk as they run up the stairs and they get to the door the same way. And they just open the door and kind of slide in just like they had planned. Oh, sorry. I had my alarm set. Just thought I'd climb in bed with you. Now here's the deal whether you are the one who dives in bed or you are the one who slowly kind of sashays your way in like it was what you always planned from the beginning. The picture here is the same. Whether you're a kid or an adult, we're going to struggle with sin this side of heaven. It's just the way it works. We've got to be individuals who step into the light. We embrace the truth. We confess our sin, and then we run to Jesus. He is our defender. He is our atoning sacrifice, the only reason that we have any hope. Just for the record, one of the problems when we fall out of fellowship with God, sometimes if you're the one who has stepped into the light, you've claimed your sin, but you still feel like there's this glass ceiling or this block in your relationship with him, a lot of it has to do with where you run when fear seeks to overtake faith in your walk. And right now, we live in a culture, because of everything happening in our world with this virus, we live in a world where every day, multiple times a day, the devil seeks to ride that wave of fear and overtake the faith in your life. There's one more verse I wanna share with you today. And it comes from Psalm chapter 121, verses 1 and 2. It illustrates this point perfectly. Psalm chapter 121, verses 1 and 2. Here's what the psalmist writes. We don't know if it's David, we just know it's a psalmist. Here's what the psalmist writes I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Underline, where does my help come from? Now stop there for just a minute. This picture is not just somebody in nature going, oh, what a beautiful hillside. I wonder where it is. I wonder who it was that built this thing. No, notice the term here. I lift my eyes up to the hills. I'm looking at the hillside. For the ancient, they don't have bulldozers. For the ancient, they don't have cranes. When you have a hillside, it was not created by you. And this in this passage is symbolic of something that is completely and totally beyond your control not just beyond your control but beyond your lifetime that hillside was there before you existed and most likely it is going to be there long after you leave this earth as well what the psalmist says here is i lift my eyes up to the hills i lift my eyes up to things that are beyond my control and he says where have i placed my faith Where does my help come from? Who am I counting on to be here before I exist and after I exist? Who is it that I'm counting on to take care of things that are completely beyond my control? Look at verse 2. He says, my help comes from the Lord. Underline, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Underline, the maker of heaven and earth. You could say it this way. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of the hill, the maker of the thing that's beyond my control, the maker of the thing that I cannot do on my own every day multiple times a day now we make the decision where does my help come from does it come from Dr. Fauci now Dr. Fauci is a great resource for us but he is not our hope does it come from the president? Does it come from scientific method? Does it come from our point on the curve? Does it come from some vaccine? Does it come from an amount of money that you have that you feel like might buy your safety? Does it come from a family? Does it come from social media? Does it come from your intellect? If it's anything but the maker, you're going to fall into fear. Can I say that to you? If you have put your faith in anything but the maker, you're going to fall into fear. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. When I see the complexity of this world, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. In John, he said, if any one of you has a problem, we have Jesus in our defense. Cling to him with every ounce of faith that you've got and he will carry you through the day. Now, just for the record, there are times we've had some people say to us, Pastor Zach, if you have so much faith, then why is the church not still gathering together in person to meet? Can I tell you the answer to that question? Sometimes faith is gathering, and then sometimes faith is realizing that the Lord has put governments, principalities, and powers in place to protect us and to take care of us as his hands and feet. Sometimes the absolute most faith-filled thing you can do is trust that God has put those people in positions for such a time as this to help us, to guide us, and to lead us. We don't need to fall into it blindly, but we have to trust that the Lord is working in them too. I think this might be a time more than any other time in my entire life that I can see that God is moving so intentionally. And I've gotten phone calls and messages from many of you saying the same thing. God is up to something that is so much bigger than we ever could comprehend. Sometimes faith is gathering together, and there will come a time when we have to have faith to meet together, even after this pandemic is over. But for now, we have the faith to trust that God has put these leaders in place for such a time as this, and we're going to adhere to the law. If you've taken notes, one final quote for you today Fight back against the devil's attacks with the name and the resurrection of Jesus. Fight back against the devil's attacks with the name and the resurrection of Jesus. He is our defender, and we must choose him every day. There's a beautiful song that we teased a little bit at the front end of the service today, and it really rings true from what we've studied from the truth, the resurrection, and just everything that we're navigating in a country, as, a, as a country and a world right now. And it's that beautiful old Gaither hymn, Because He Lives. In the hymn it says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. The resurrection is the moment where we know Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades. And no matter how dark, deep, or difficult this world becomes, we win because of Him, our atoning sacrifice, our great defender. It begs the final question today Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Have you placed it in something that is not worthy of being your Lord? Have you placed it in yourself, in the government? in science, the cure, a vaccine, have you placed it in your finances, your family, or your social status? If that's you, I wanna encourage you, you will find no peace until you place your hope in him. You will find no peace until you place your hope in Jesus. I love you guys, let's bow our heads for prayer just for a minute. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. I wanna ask you something today. Is there anyone here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? If I'm being honest, I don't know that I've ever had a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's never been a moment in my remembered past when I claimed, like you talked about today, the truth of scripture, the truth about Jesus when I stepped into the light, when I claimed that I was a sinner, but then when I also claimed that Christ shed blood could cover my sin. Just for the record, it's nothing mystical or magical, but there is something eternal that happens when we say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead, and that you are the one and only perfect sacrifice for all my sin. With nobody looking around, If that's you and you'd say, Zach, I need to believe in Jesus for the very first time and I need to be saved today. I need to find forgiveness for my sins and be saved. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, thank you. Thank you for your courage. If that was you, I wanna encourage you in the comment section, just type that's me. I'm raising my hand. You can even put the hand emoji if you want to and then we'll make sure that somebody reaches out to you. If you don't have Facebook and you're watching us on YouTube, I want to encourage you, if that's you, please email tj at waterfrontchurchdc.com. Pause it right now, email TJ, and let him know that you are praying to receive Christ right here, right now. It doesn't matter where you are. Christ hears your prayer, and then you can affirm it by letting TJ know, and then we'll reach out to you and encourage you. Second, Maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but honestly, I'm missing that friendship, that sweet connection with Almighty God. And you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to step into the light. I need to embrace the truth. I need to stop living in the shadows. If that's you with nobody looking around, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. If that was you, I'm gonna pray for you, but I wanna encourage you. Just say, God, I embrace the truth. Pray that simple prayer. God, I embrace the truth. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I know the light, I walk in it, but uh, honestly, it's been a while since I confessed my sin. Every one of us is less than perfect. Remember, sin is not just the things that you've done wrong, it's the things that we've done that missed the mark. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, I need to confess some sin. I see the light. I know the truth. But it's time I confessed it to God. If that's you, I'm not going to make you lift your hand on this one or click the button. I want to encourage you to push pause, to go and get alone with Almighty God and spend some time praying and just tell Him what you've done. He already knows. But we find out from John there's a powerful thing that happens when we claim it. In fact when we look at the cross, that's what Jesus died for. He died for that mess that separates you from God. If that's you, push pause, and spend some time telling God about what you've done. And then, our last point today, trust that Christ's blood covers it. Last but not least, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I'm in the light, I've confessed my sin, but that glass ceiling, that block, is the fact that I put things before Jesus and it's time when I look at the hills when I look at the things in this life that are beyond my control that I place my faith in him that I might not be taken over by fear with nobody looking but just me if you're here and you'd say Zach would you pray for me would you pray that I would choose Jesus instead of falling into fear if that's you if you would just lift your hand where you are right now thank you Thank you for your courage. I've got a feeling there'll be many of you on this one. If that was you, I want to encourage you. Run to Jesus, he is our defender. Run to Jesus, he is our atoning sacrifice. Trust in him and let him defend you. If that was you lifting your hand on that one, I'm gonna pray for you, but I wanna encourage you. Say, I choose faith over fear. Lord, I choose faith over fear. Christ, defend me. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. If that's you, make sure you reach out. Let's truly, this Easter, let this one be a special day. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate the resurrection anywhere, anytime. And Lord, it will be celebrated even uh, even if there were no people to celebrate it. Lord, your word tells us that the rocks would cry out in praise and worship to you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ if there is someone here who needs to be saved today, give them the courage to reach out, to make that decision and to claim you with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, I also pray if there is anyone here today that needs to step into the light, that you would give them the courage to embrace the truth at all costs. Lord, for those who are here that need to own and confess their sin, give them a double portion of courage today as they come before you. And then, Lord, for those who today need to cling to Jesus for the first time in a long time, Lord, again, give them a double portion of courage. Let them choose faith over fear. And Lord, I pray that you would use them powerfully. Lord, I pray that through this time, as we embrace the truth, as we claim our sin, but then fall on you as our atoning sacrifice, I pray that we might find that sweet fellowship that John talks about. Thank you for making that possible through the resurrection. It is only because of Jesus we have any hope. We love you, Lord. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.